This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody, it's Analyzing Anfield. Liverpool are still top of the league and the old Liverpool are back. I don't mind saying that as well, to be honest. I feel like they are back. Josh Williams, Christian Walsh here, bringing all the analytics and statistics around Liverpool Football Club. Josh, 3-1, how are you feeling? I'm feeling better this week. It feels like we actually deserve it this week. Um, there was no scraping over the line this time around, was there? I, f- I felt like l- last week, I listened back to, to, to the episode, actually just before the Arsenal game. and um, I did as well, and I felt negative. Yeah, really it, felt, negative. it felt like it came across far more negative than it should have been. Yeah, Liverpool I, were top of the league with six points. They've won the Super Cup. And there's me and you with rosary beads in our hands going, please, God, like, can we please get out of this with a point? Yeah, <laughs> no, I think I was, I, I was under no illusion that we were going to win I, I felt confident that we were going to win but maybe just the usual Liverpool standards I thought it'd be a bit more end to end and things like that so I felt the need to stress that on the pod but listening back it did feel a bit we're not going to win we're going to you know what I mean that kind of thing and it wasn't it wasn't it was it wasn't intended to come up across like that it was supposed to be a bit more like we're going to have to deal with a couple more threats and Maybe last season or, or that kind of thing, but which they did. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, speak for yourself because yes, I know for the fact that you were confident. Myself, I was a little bit less confident, and I was me head did fall off a couple of times during that podcast. But <laughs> Liverpool got through it. They won three one, and they looked very very good, Josh. So um, we, we'll crack on. We'll start with the game at Anfield. And I suppose it's probably unfair to start with this because Liverpool were so good. But let's just let's just start with with Unai Emery and how he set up because I think this very much played into the way the game unfolded. Uh, he went with a diamond, a four four two diamond, and I think we, we we did sort of discuss how Arsenal might set up, and we were talking about Pepe, Aubameyang, and and Lacazette. He did actually give two of them a run out, but it wasn't the two we were expecting. It wasn't the two that he'd been given a run out for the. Uh, start of the season, Lacazette this time was benched, and Pepe and Aubameyang started. Was that was was this a mistake, and did this pretty much play into Liverpool's hands? Uh, I think it was an interesting choice when I seen the teams initially, because I was doing a game. I, my first thought was he's playing four central midfielders there, and as far as I'm aware, I can't remember the last time he played a diamond, but it will have been a while, I think, and especially since they were away at Anfield, just was it was a bit of an odd decision. Um, but you know, looking back at it, I have got I have got a bit more understanding of what he was doing, and I, I tweeted the day after the game because uh, a cycle between the posts yes. tweet, tweeted the the formation graphic from the match. <laughs> the two three five. It's, it's just mad. It's <laughs> genuinely mad. Two five three. It was actually two five three. Yeah, uh, and it's hard to believe that that can be. An intentional ploy, but I, I actually think it was. I think, I mean, it's worth mentioning beforehand that I don't think anything Arsenal could have done tactically. Emery could, I don't think he could have stopped Liverpool on the day. I think it was always going to be a Liverpool win. Is that where Liverpool are at now? Yeah, I think Arsenal didn't stand a chance. I mean, this is very easy to say in hindsight now that he should have tried this formation, but even if he did, he probably still would have lost. It's just a case of the way the match went. It was hard to believe that Arsenal um, willingly accepted to concede such territory and, and possession. And I think Arsenal's plan was basically just defend with nine men, uh, block the centre of the pitch, hence the diamond. And, you know, if you're going to attack us, you have to go around us. 
Uh, usually that would make a degree of sense, but I think considering Liverpool's fullbacks, it was just hard to believe on the day that he thought that would be, you know, a, a good approach to take. Um, and then obviously, if you don't have any presence on the flanks, which Arsenal didn't because of the narrow diamond in the centre, Trent and Robertson are then going to be inclined to, to bomb on and play in the final third. Again, it sounds like Emery's made a mistake, but I think he'll have almost wanted that with view to then leaving Van Dijk and Matt up one-on-one with Aubameyang and Pepe, just as his sole means of that's how we're going to find the goal, just them two will do something for us on the break in, in the vast amount of space that's left. So, you know, I, I can see I can see what, what his thinking was. I mean, it's it's relatively creative, but I, I I think it's you know if you consider Liverpool's fullbacks, as I said, the deliveries they put in, the amount of goals Mane scored last season with his head, it was just a matter of time. I thought so. We broke the door down basically. I think there was a reliance as well upon good deliveries from Andy Robertson, Trent Alexander Arnold, and they weren't necessarily in there at the start. But what what Liverpool did have eventually was somebody who's six foot four, six foot five in the in the penalty area. You know the one thing that don't get me wrong, Sadio Mane is fantastic in the air. Um, Firmino's no slouch, and Salah scored a couple of headers himself, and he could have scored one uh, himself in the second half. But uh, from a, from a set piece, Joel Matip rises above everybody else, and and that was the difference, really, wasn't it? In terms of maybe Emery was hoping for the deliveries not to be on point, which is a big risk considering the assists that Robertson and, and Trent got last season, but also that the strikers, it, it takes two two players to make a good cross is what I'm trying to say, I suppose. is It's got to be a good delivery and you've got to have a good run and a good contact on it from the striker. So when you actually put a six foot four centre-back in there, you've got a bit more of a chance and, and that's what happened because Liverpool will, get, will rack up the corners as well. They were getting the territory and, and as you say, it was eventually going to pay. Yeah, well, we attacked with eight men for the majority of the match. Um, just using, you know, the inside left, the inside right positions to just absolutely pepper the box with crosses. And it got to a point where it was getting a, a bit silly. Um, I've got the numbers on it here, actually. Uh, so I looked over, just over the course of the past year, one match, we've hit more crosses. We hit 30 crosses during the match. Uh, and we've only bettered that once. And we actually talked about it on this pod. I'm not sure if you remember the game. Well, I guess. Or... Wofford? Nope. Not Wofford. Five, it was no. away. I'll give you that one. Everton? No. United? No. Go on. Fulham. Remember? Yes. Scott Parker had a similar approach yes. whereby he let Trent and Robertson just do what they want, really. Because they basically packed the centre. Yeah. And again, a similar game. We just peppered the box with crosses. And I can't really remember the opening we got on that day, actually. Um, I think it was an open play goal. Or... It was, it was Mane. Yeah. Mane sort of down the left. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I remember, yeah. With, a, with, with one, two, with Salad, if I remember rightly. Um, but it was just a, a weird game to watch, considering two technically top six teams. Um, but one just absolutely dominating the other. And because of the areas in which we were crossing from, Arsenal could only head their clearances back to our feet, really. And Second the ball, balls were, yeah, were, were a big ball thing. Yeah, would just come again. Um, 
I think Arsenal will have expected that before the game. I think Emery will have drilled the centre-backs, his whole back four, in fact, just defend the penalty box and clear every box every ball that comes in. Uh, I think they, they cope relatively well. I think that did stem from our... You know, we, our deliveries could have been a bit better. We could have positioned our attackers better in the box. I think we, sometimes there was maybe two players occupying the same zone. I think you, you need to space it out a little bit kind of thing. But as I said, I did feel like it was, it was a matter of time before we broke through. Uh, if, it, if it got to half-time, it was still nil-nil. Could have been a different game, we don't know. But the approach was definitely... Definitely different, that's, that's, I think that's fair to say. I, I don't think I want Arsenal to play that against Man City, by the way. No. Be, because, <laughs> don't get me wrong, Aubameyang and, and, and Pepe up against, let's say, Otamendi and, and Stones or even Laporte and Otamendi, fine. But could you imagine Man City with that space out wide, given the, the type of goal they score all the time? Yeah, I know. So, six of the back, please, when you play them, Unai. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it reminds me of a similar approach to when Germany played Holland in the, uh, the what's it called the Nations, Nations League. League. There was a match where um, is that when Nabri went absolutely Nabri and Sane played yes. as Germany's two strikers up against basically Dalit and Van Dijk, and it was just like a um, a two v two. Countless occasions, I think Van Dijk got the better of Gnabry on one occasion, just shrugged them off. Really impressive, but on another occasion. Gnabry cut in from the corner of the box and finished. It was decent defending from Van Dijk at the time, but because the ball went in, Van Dijk got blamed on the likes of Twitter and things like that. So it was an incessant approach. Uh, unique. I don't think we expected it at all. I think Klopp said that, but you know, it didn't work at the end of the no, day. So. It, certainly, it certainly did not. And you know, just to focus on Liverpool then for 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 a moment. Um, it didn't work because Liverpool were, were so good. They had to be patient, and and, and you know, I think it shows that. The fact that they've, they've got so many weapons in their arsenal, no pun intended now, in terms of, you know, they can't get it from open play, then they'll put in a cracking ball from a set piece and, and score that way. You know, the, the, it's 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 magnificent to see. But the pressing was back, Josh, and that was a big reason why Arsenal couldn't get out because there was a statistic from Adam Beatty who works for Sky Sports and this was at half-time of the game. Arsenal were dispossessing their own defensive third eight times in the first half, which... Most by any team this season, which doesn't surprise me, but the most by Arsenal this decade. I'd, I'd just it's a big statement. Oh, it's huge, and and big but number. you could you could see it physically happening time and time again. I don't know if it was. I, mean, I don't really rate Jacker anyway, but Jacker was struggling. Um, Gendouzi, Ceballos, uh, even I thought Willock had a decent game in transition, but he was getting caught on the ball. So it was just a. It, it was it was amazing to see Liverpool back to what felt like. The Liverpool of last season, this felt like against Norwich, it's sort of expected the newly promoted side and one that plays so open as Norwich. And even then, it wasn't a 4 1. The XG says that, you know, Southampton was was a bit of a grind, which was three days after another grind in Istanbul. But Arsenal just felt like everything was back to what Liverpool do best. I think you can tell we had a week off. Yes. And, um, you know, grad- gradually since Klopp's arrival, at Liverpool, season by season, we've gradually pressed a little bit less. Only, you know, barely even noticeable, but just a little bit less as a means of being a bit more of a controlling, um, managing results kind of side. It's around a pass per P- PDA, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's something like that, yeah. 
Uh, there's not a great deal in it. It's not massive, but it, it is marked. But the way we used to press like maniacs, we don't seem to have... Well, we we still do it occasionally. And this was one of those occasions. This was one of them where we, we fully demonstrated the high press and all its glory, whereby we press right up until the goalkeeper, really. Uh, the PPDA doesn't really capture it because, you know, there was portions of the match, match specifically when we got 3-0 up where we just, you know, we stopped really being so intense because we didn't really have to. Uh, but just in the early stages of the game, you could tell where that, that, that the, the plan was to really just fluster them, really put them under pressure, make them make countless mistakes. And I think when you're facing teams that are inclined and dedicated to build up from the back, nice possession football and all this, but you don't specifically have the personnel at a level to cope with a really high intense press, it just goes, it goes bad, basically. And I'm just thinking of players like maybe Socrates, maybe Monreal, Maitland Niles, you know, he's a, he's a kid in that environment. Gwen Doozy. Gwen Doozy. Um, it, it was just a risky approach to take at Anfield. I think it played into our hands. And it was good, it was good to see his impose that style because although it's riskier and it may be sometimes offers less control it really does pump up the atmosphere it makes it a cauldron at times and as I said when you're trying to play through that when you're not even you know the best technical player as it is you're just going to make mistakes uh, and I think it really flustered Arsenal in the first say I'm not sure first half an hour and maybe the first 20 minutes after half time it, it just felt like they, they couldn't get a breather and t- teams tend to struggle that I feel when that's the case I'd probably be a little bit unfair on Gwen Doozy there I've just had a little look uh, Maitland-Niles 75% pass accuracy or success uh, Monreal 75 uh, compare that to Robertson which is 93 and Trent which is 80 uh, Willock 85% which for a central midfielder in that sort of situation Fabinho got 93 Wijnaldum 98 I know yeah. it's different types of passes as well, and you can't compare chalk and cheese. But well, just as a little, a little example here, uh, we're going to talk a little tiny bit more about Sabayos in a minute. But just as an example, against Burnley last week when he was this majestic player, God to himself. I mean, I still think he is, but this was just a bad game for him. He, he completed ninety-one percent of his sixty-six passes against Burnley. Against Liverpool, he only completed eighty-three percent. Uh, of us 29 passes. Mm. so just a completely different game for yeah. him and I think that's that's epitomised by by Liverpool's pressing game and how how it can foster even the most composed and the most technical players so the pressing is back and then is it any any coincidence that it felt like the, the defence was back to a large degree um, and the performance in general so, so the XG was 2.34 versus 0.68 Um Felt feels a little bit low. Is that is that why scouts? Yeah, feels a little bit low Arsenal wise. I'm only just thinking of that Pepe chance really where Adrian saves it. Um, but in general, the the defense felt like it, it dealt with with Arsenal's threats. Um, I found it really interesting that Pepe was one of the first players I can remember. You just show me there, so that's under stat 0.99. Yeah. It just yeah. XG is very much a, an interpretive model. Um, See, so under stat there, I've got 
Pepe's chances no point three eight. White Scouts had it no point two. So it, it's for understanding it's almost double. Yeah. I mean White Scout does tend to be weird in, in certain areas, we've acknowledged that before. Yeah. It is you know, I go I go happen. more towards that than so that, yeah. But yeah. even then, you know, it's it's still it's still a much better performance from, from Liverpool defensively. But what I what I saw from Pepe was something that I haven't really seen very often since Van Dyke came to Liverpool. And that was a manager who told his players to attack Virgil Van Dyke. Yeah. I found that really interesting because normally and I think Klopp said this himself in his in his post match quotes um to the to the Monday newspapers, but the the fact that Trent's got a hell of a lot of work to do because he's not on Van Dijk's side. And what that means as well is the fact that teams just naturally attack down that side because they try and attack as far away from Virgil van Dijk as possible. Yeah. Which, by the way, sort of puts into context how good Joel Matip or Joe Gomez or even Dejan Lovren can be because they normally get targeted even though they're not a bad player. Um, But Pepe was told to attack Van Dijk and, and... I think I, I, I wrote about it myself. Normally, Van Dijk wins 120-108 on the scorecards. He probably won this one 119-109 or 118-110 <laughs> because Pepe flustered them a little bit. He finally dribbled, got dribbled past Virgil van Dijk. Finally happened, so we can finally stop talking about it. It was a competitive game. He got dribbled past. But Van Dijk just dusted himself down, and after that, he was just imperious once again. Yeah, just on the whole performance and the defence being back, I think we had 24 shots to seven. Uh, and, you know, we've been talking recently about shot counts, Liverpool shot counts, and how many we roughly allow on our goal per match. And we've been allowing over that lately. I think it was a 10 against Southampton, 11 against Norwich, I think it was. So to go back to seven, obviously a positive sign. Um 24 shots, obviously you're out shooting your opponent by a serious amount there. Uh, so yeah, it, it bodes well for for the whole improvement thing. I think it was definitely our best performance of the season so far. And on Pepe, it it, it doesn't overly surprise me. I, I, one of the things I pointed out when we were, you know, we've talked about him a little bit on this pod and I've tweeted about him a little bit. He's a very, very unpredictable player. Hard to, he's all over the place, but to, to an extent whereby sometimes it works in his favour. Just that hard to pin down, chaotic type of player, and you don't—I don't think he quite knows where he's got, where he's going. So, considering Van Dijk is the type of player to, you know, assess a decision before he makes it and assess situations and remain composed. If you're dealing with a player who's just all over the place, it, it makes that a lot trickier. I think on the whole, Van Dijk, another solid game for me. But I, I understand what you're saying there in terms of Pepe giving him a difficult game. I thought he was, considering it was his first Premier League start and it was at Anfield, I thought he did quite well. I think you can see why why teams were linked with him. I think he's definitely got something there. He's still very raw. Uh, so he's 24? Yeah, he might, might even be younger than that, actually. Mm. I'm not sure. It's uh, so worth checking that, but... I don't know. I think he's... I think one of the things I said about him is that he's a, he's a bit of a mix of Salah and Zaha for me. Mm. He's like a really erratic dribbler, but he's also got that end product type of thing, which he didn't showcase at Anfield specifically. But he's definitely a player to watch. He's definitely a player who's going to cause us problems probably when we return for the second visit at the Emirates. Uh, but yeah, it was interesting to see him get a start at Anfield. He is, he is 24, so he's, he's got a not long term 24. He's 24 and a half, if you will. So he's, he's, <laughs> he's got. 
he's, he's, he's got time on his side. Um, just what did we think about Caballos? Because I think we I think we said, didn't we, that the idea that you you know if you press him, don't give him time to get his head up and play around the high line and 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 pick out Aubameyang and Pepe, and it felt like that was very much an instruction from Jurgen Klopp because he didn't get a moment's rest. No, he didn't. I think he would have really felt the intensity in that match. Because I'm not sure he's completely fit at the minute. Mm. I'm not sure he's at absolute full fitness. He arrived at Arsenal quite late in the window. And, you know, as I said last week against Burnley, he was he was superb. He was just dic- dictating everything, controlling everything. Um, you know, governing proceeding on the pitch, proceedings on the pitch. Uh, but we, d- we did say that at Anfield it's going to be a different... It's, it's just a different proposition. So, 66 passes against Burnley, 29 against Liverpool. Uh, five dribbles attempted against Burnley, only two against Liverpool. Three shots against Burnley, zero against Liverpool. And I think for the for the most part, he was just chasing shadows. I think mm. one thing I pointed out last week is that he's, he's, he dominated Burnley and dominated the play without being... Mobile at all, I said. I said last week he's he's, he's quite slow, um, and I think that was that was really evident against Liverpool. I think he, he he was very much chasing shadows, two steps behind everyone else, um, and just not not mobile enough really to com- to compete with what with what he was up against. I think he'll improve. Don't get me wrong. I think he'll generally be a good player across the season, but it was just a really you know the polar opposite type of opponent he wants to face usually. I think also what you've got to look at, he played around about 1,300 minutes in the league last season for Real Madrid. Um, and then in the Champions League, he, he did an emerge against Ajax and he played five minutes against Roma. And then the full 90 away to Moscow and a whole, sorry, away to Victoria Pilsen. This is a uh, this is a team that he's not used to facing. Yeah, you know, without it's, doubt, it's, yeah. And, and it can be a real shock to the system. I think that's why Liverpool do so well in Europe, to be honest, which is probably a good segue. But it is. I think Liverpool's tempo, the tempo which we play, and I think Klopp come out with a quote after the game as well. Absolutely spot on quote, I thought. He said, he said our identity is intensity. And I think that was just, a, I mean, it sounds a bit cheesy, don't get me wrong, but I think it's... That's like it's, a WWF wrestler <laughs> slogan. <laughs> I think it's very much true, though. It, it's, it's spot on for me. I think the main thing that teams have to str- teams struggle with when he faces... It's just the speed and, and the aggression and, and the fitness levels that we demonstrate. And I think Ceballos, more than anyone on the pitch probably, is really shocked, shocked to his system, I thought. Well, before we move on to Europe, one thing that was probably a shock to the system was when he saw Roberto Firmino do whatever he did to him. Yeah, that Scooping was crazy. The ball. Well, have, have you ever seen anything like that? Well, at the time, I thought he maybe played a pass and it bounced off Sabayas' <laughs> foot and, and went up. So after the match, when I saw the replay and Firmino had flicked it up himself, I couldn't get my head around it. It was From a very, very strange thing to do mid-game. It's, but that's what he is, isn't he? Yeah. He's got to score He's got to score an absolute worldy. This, I mean, and I'm talking Suarez, Norwich-esque worldy. You can <laughs> yeah. just tell. He, yeah. he had that little sighted against Norwich, didn't he, where he, he, he hit it on the turn. He's tried that. You can just tell he's, he's, he's lining something up. Roberto Firmino, his goal against Southampton was was decent enough to be fair to him. Okay, so we'll park Arsenal um, and we will look forward to getting back to the Emirates 
Uh, I'm not sure when they when they head there actually, but um, they can't come back to Anfield soon enough, to be honest. Um, given given how Liverpool normally turn them over now and do it quite handsomely. Um, and so before we move on to Burnley, because that's a, that's still a fair few, uh, few days away, we will talk about Europe, Josh, because on Thursday it's the Champions League draw. Uh, Liverpool, lest we forget, in case we need reminders, are the champions of Europe. They are the reigning, defending, current holders of the Champions League. So they're in pot one as the champions. Um, that means they can't face teams like Chelsea. I can't believe Chelsea are a pot one team. I, I mean, it's because they won the Europa League, very but, lucky, yeah, but very lucky. my word... Um, they're the one everybody wants, apart from Zenith. So Zenith, Barcelona, Man City, Juventus, Bayern and PSG. They're, of course, all the champions from their respective leagues. Um, so before we talk about the actual draw, Josh, you just mentioned that they're about teams not being able to cope with the intensity. I think at the start of the season, we both tipped Liverpool to win the Champions League again. It's just difficult to see us suffering defeat over two legs. I think you've really got to... You've got to deal with an animal, really, when you think about it. Uh, That's going to get called up in in February, isn't it? When when yeah. people get knocked out by Porto. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. No, I mean, yeah, I was actually can't be Porto. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, that means finally we can't draw finally them. Finally, we can't draw them. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think it's just difficult. Liverpool just look like a, an unbeatable team in Europe at times. Um, over two legs. Over two legs. Yeah. And I, th- I think, don't get me wrong, the, the top teams in that pot one, any of them can defeat any of the others, really, mm. could just just based on the individual player quality. Just Are we having Chelsea there as well? Except Chelsea. And except <laughs> Zenith. Zenith. Yeah. I think I'd rather play Chelsea and Zenith, to be honest. But on the day, all those top teams have, have enough quality in individual numbers to just decide games single-handedly. So, you know, you never know. Champions League's a difficult one to call just because, you know, it's knockout, so... Mm. You can't really predict that accurately, but I do, I do think Liverpool have got a solid chance this season. I, I think we're one of the major scalps that opposing European teams look at, and you know that's Liverpool. I think we've very much got that order about us now, whereby we've reached two finals in, in, a, in a row, won one of them. Klopp's yet to be beaten in Europe over two legs by you know as Liverpool manager, and it's just the kind of thing that gradually European teams start looking at you and thinking like. You know, we want to defeat this team. We we want to be the teams to knock them out, kind of thing. How much do you buy into this whole theory that so Liverpool play a team like Bayern Munich, and a team like Bayern Munich aren't necessarily used to the intensity of 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 Liverpool? Uh, you play a team like PSG, and uh, you know certainly in the first half of the first game, really at Anfield, PSG were blown away by what Liverpool were trying to do to them. Um, a little bit different than the second leg, even Barcelona. That was a special night, um, and something a little bit more than just tactics and 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 you know that kind of thing. You know, underlying numbers beat Barcelona that night. I'm, I'm absolutely certain of it. But there is a uh, you know Barcelona couldn't deal with what Liverpool were doing for 90 minutes against them. So how much do you buy into that idea that these teams who dominate their leagues? And it's fair to say we we might as well say it. You know, Liverpool and Man City are dominating their league right now. It's 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 not it's not like it's a million miles away. If you take Liverpool out of the Premier League, then Man City are just like PSG, Bayern. To be fair, Bayern didn't dominate it. He went to the last days, didn't he? Juventus. I'm thinking of the. Um, 
But these are all one or two team leagues, at least with Liverpool and City, you've, you have got Inferi, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, Manchester United. How much does that matter for, for, for Liverpool? Is that a big advantage that they're in such a competitive league? I, I do think it is, yeah. I think when you're playing these teams, especially the likes of Barcelona and, and um, maybe Juventus and teams like this, you used to play at a lot at a comfortable pace, really. The, the the games over there are a lot more, say in Spain, a lot more possession based. Um, I think in Italy they're a lot more tactical. Uh, they they're not specifically physical. They're not they're not. And I think Liverpool, I think England at the minute is leading the whole fitness aspect of of the game. Liverpool have to be at absolute top level every week just to, to compete with Man City, and Man City are aware of the same. And I think, you know, when, when we faced Barcelona last season, it I think it really told. I think Messi said after the game, and I've used this quote a couple of times in, in some of the articles I wrote since, he said, uh, even after the first game when he when he won 3-0, Messi, this is according to um, Guillaume Balaguer, Messi apparently said to his teammates that the, the game was played at Liverpool's pace. And... He said his, his team, he he and his team were exhausted, and they wouldn't be able to play at that pace again, and that's what happened. And they ended up suffering a four 0 defeat. I think Bayern as well. We when we went over to Bayern, you could just really tell that around the sixty minute mark, whereby Bayern had to get in the game. Still, they were down. They were two one down. I think at the time, they couldn't just because they they, they couldn't match. And and anyone that's played football, if you're playing against players or a team. Who was just physically better than you, fitter, faster, stronger, more stamina about them. It does the majority of the work, really does. And I think Liverpool at the minute are the fastest and fittest team in the world for me, alongside probably Manchester City. And it's it's ultimately really really difficult for, for teams to deal with, especially considering they play week after week in their own European foreign league, and have to play Liverpool in a one-off or t- maybe too much uh, playoff. It's just a real shock to the system for them. And it's not for Liverpool, it goes the other way for Liverpool, it makes things almost easier because, you know, they, they used to a tougher game. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's oil and water, isn't it, for, for, for the opposing team because you, you, you can't deal with that pace. You, you try and take the sting out of a game. But you can't because it's so quick. It's it's not like it's. I'm trying to think of an example here. It's not like when Bayern, for example, the German teams, Klopp's Dortmund and, and Bayern of you know sort of 2013, 14, and you know the way that you'd maybe sort of I know they got to the final, but then the year after, what you found when teams played Bayern and Dortmund was that they didn't give them the space in behind to counter attack. They knew that Robin and Ribery, for example, would would would, would counter attack that space. The new Klopp's teams could could do that two years as well. So they play, and I think the, I think Dortmund got knocked out by Juve, who just played with a very deep block, and I can't remember who Bayern got knocked out by that season. Um, but it's that idea, isn't it? That you play a team against a counter attack where you don't give them space behind. You play a team who are good with possession football, then you try and disrupt them. You play a team who are fast and fit, what the hell do you do? Because you can't you can't keep the ball because they'll get the ball off you. You can't go long because they'll they'll they're too quick at the back and they'll retrieve it. So it really does feel like Liverpool and City to be fair have got the best of both worlds at the moment whereby they can't be played against 
I, and I, their style is also much better than anybody else's. Yeah, I just don't think. I think Liverpool have reached a point whereby we don't really have a weakness. Mm. Um, we have on the Klopp in the past. There was a point where we went through a phase where, like, we were just very much a transition team. And if we played a side that weren't willing to give us them opportunities, such as Burnley, maybe Crystal Palace, those teams would try to do it against us. We'd we'd struggle, and we, we there was a period where we lost a couple against like counter attacking teams that were willing to sit deep. I think now, no matter what the match scenario is that we're presented with, we we just seem to come through it. We seem to find a way. We seem to find a solution, and I think that's one of the reasons we do so well in Europe because we're so adaptable to different match scenarios. Obviously, if you're playing a two match playoff type, you know knockout kind of thing, you you have to consider game state a lot. In those moments, you know, if you if you have a lead, if you're behind on away goals, whatever it may be, Liverpool are just so adaptable, so interchangeable in in what they have to do. So many versatile profiles in the team that they they can do that. I think that's one of the reasons I've I've said this before that City suffer a little bit in Europe. It's because they can't have things in such an ideal way in Europe. You're playing against teams that are better than that. You're playing. You're not playing against a Bournemouth or a Palace, or a Brighton, who are going to, you know, effectively be scared of you. You're playing against teams that are willing to have a go. Teams that can actually have the quality to get in behind you, such as, you know, I'm thinking Leon last season. Leon managed two results against them, just because they've got the quality to play through them. So Guardiola's control and governing style of play can't be imposed as effectively as it can in, in week to week in the Premier League. So I just think Liverpool are really ideally suited to to playing in Europe, and for me, you know, we've got exactly the same team really, plus Ox, who should come in handy against the likes of, say, Napoli. I'm thinking away, mm-hmm. PSG away when we we didn't have an Ox, did we? Um, so I, I can't see much changing in that regard. I can still see us once again, just being a really difficult, horrible team to face in Europe, and I think it's no coincidence that so many. Opposing players and opposing managers have come out last season and said, you know, in not as many ways, we don't want Liverpool, really. I mean, people make out that us as Liverpool fans are overplaying that type of thing, but it does happen. Opposing teams want to avoid Liverpool. It is a true thing. It's not, you know, <clears throat> not a myth or a false narrative. That that's a true, a true statement that teams don't want to face Liverpool. So I can just see us being as effective as we usually are in Europe this season. Am I right in thinking as well that since the Dortmund game in 2016, I've, I've just tossed it up in my head, it's 15 home games. I don't think Liverpool have fallen behind once. No, we might not have. In Europe? In Europe. Yeah. No, it wouldn't even surprise me that. That's worth checking. So you've got Hoffenheim, you've got Sparta, Moscow, Maribor, Sevilla. Oh, Sevilla. They went behind against Sevilla. They might have, yeah. They went behind against Sevilla. Yes, they went, they went one, one nil to Sevilla, 2-1, then 2-2. Two, two. Yeah. So they went behind the Sevilla. Sevilla was the last time they went behind the home in Europe. Yeah. Which is, again, just shows you. Let's say, okay, let's say. That, it's, it's almost like AD and BC before Van Dyke. Yeah. BVD, you know, before but, but Van Dyke. If that happens, though, the, the fact that we we aren't going behind so often, that allows us then to dictate the game state. Is that's why, when you say game state, they just got the cogs turning. Yeah, so if opposing teams have to then start basically coming out to get back in the game. We've obviously got that transition past, whereby we we would rely on a counter attack. So we're just 
really horrible team to come up with a tactical game plan to play against and just was so so well suited to changing match scenarios and um to be honest, some fans might not even want to hear this, but it reminds me a lot of um Peak United under Ferguson. Because people talk about that United team being super attacking and and, and all this, but what what United were at their best were just complete pragmatists basically you know whatever the match scenario was they would adapt and play accordingly to what and, and they had the profiles to do that if they had to counter attack they would if they had to play a possession game they would if they had to soak pressure they would you know whatever it may be and Liverpool are very much like that at the minute um, so you know it's it's a positive Comparison that I'm trying to make there, but you know, maybe. it feels like we're comparing Liverpool United far too much. But I, I, I suppose that goes to show you because the United teams that we do reference Liverpool against uh, are ones that have won Champions Leagues, the ones that have won Premier Leagues, the the, the, the some of the greatest sides I ever watched. You know, I didn't like watching it because they were so good. But you know, ultimately in the grand context of of, of you know British football. Some of the best sides, you know, in the in the last fifty years. Yeah. So it's not it's not a bad thing to, to compare them with Man United. I know you're not meant to say nice things about Man United, but I mean, it's if, not, I, if it's I was a bad com- comparison, if I was comparing to the current United side, then absolutely take offence, <laughs> take offence all you want. But I'm comparing this to the, the United side that effectively dominated England mm. for you know fifteen years, whatever it may be. So just very very quickly, I suppose then, because we're recording this on Tuesday, the, the, the draw isn't until Thursday, the pots don't get finalised until some of the qualifiers are finished, well, all the qualifiers are finished by Wednesday night. Um, and given what we've just said, uh, who do Liverpool want to avoid? As the answer is nobody, but in general, you look at those pots. So I'll just run down at the moment some names who will definitely be in pot two, pot three, pot four. So in pot two, teams that will definitely be in there, uh, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Borussia Dortmund, Napoli, Shakhtar, Tottenham, they can't get Tottenham, um, and Benfica, uh, they could possibly get Ajax as well there. Um, pot three teams that they can definitely get, roughly, just a few names here, Leverkusen, uh, Red Bull Salzburg, uh, Valencia and uh, Inter Milan. And then pot four, again, a couple of teams that they definitely will be in pot four, uh, Lille, Atalanta, um, RB Leipzig and Galatasaray. So just a few names there, just throwing out. Are there any names there that stand out as ones that you do want, ones that you don't want? The names that I don't want would be, and this is, I don't think Liverpool have very many weaknesses at all. So when I say I don't want them, it's not as in the past. Worst case scenarios. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I'd like to avoid Galatasaray for obvious reasons. Yes. Um. Atletico Madrid, I think I'd like to avoid. I'd like to avoid Inter Milan, just because Antonio Conte is a horrible manager to face. That would be a horrible group, wouldn't it? That's crazy yeah, that, that Liverpool could get that group. Yeah, that would be a horrible group, that. Uh, possibly, I'd want to avoid Napoli, I think. That's the um, last time. Yeah, I think Salzburg would be a really interesting little tactical battle. They're a very modern side in the mm. way they play the game. and You know, they run by... Obviously, Red Bull, and and they've got the, their own identity of how they play the game, and it's it was it's a very cult identity to to what Jurgen Klopp believes. Mm. To be honest, so that would make for an entertaining fixture. Is Hassan Hüttel from there initially? Uh, 
I'm not sure he was from Salzburg. We got him from Ranić. Was he there? I know. Yeah, I know Van, they've Ranić Van overseas at all. Yeah. Uh, Michael Rose was from there. He's now at Mönchengladbach. Mm. Hasenhutl will come from Leipzig initially. They've also got that. Weird, well, it's not. It's not weird because they are the same club basically. But they've got that tier system. Yeah, where it's just a brand. Yeah. they've got a brand going. I think it's it's very clever what they're doing. Mm. Just they've just got basically football teams that represent the energy drink. Yes. With that being you know an energetic style of play. Very vertical, very attacking, um, that kind of thing. What you also see is that some players who explode, including Sadio Mane, come yeah. from Salzburg. You know, the, you, you look at them, you go, "Where did they come Navi from?" Jake and then, well. of course, um, well, so, he was Leipzig, wasn't he? So, you, 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 this Red Bull have obviously got a, a good scouting system, at least. I think I, I wouldn't mind Real Madrid. Oh, Just nice. didn't like little visit that. I think that that I'd like to see that. Um, I'd like to avoid Shakhtar just for obvious reasons, but it's just Miles unnecessary travelling, isn't it? Benfica would be nice. Benfica would be fine, yeah. Uh, I think Valencia would be fine. It, most of them would be fine. At- Atlanta would be ideal for us as well. Nice possession game there. Um, Dortmund would be an interesting one. Maybe we can show Sancho what Anfield's like <laughs> on, on an Anfield um, European night. But yeah, there's not there's not that much time. Um, Ajax as well. I'd love to face Ajax. Mm. That'd be great. There's there's no one to there's no one to fear necessarily. Um just, I, go on. I was gonna say you don't what you don't want is a situation that they had last season where they did scrape through. They are a ninety-fourth minute Alison Becker save away from going out of the group stages. And they've got Napoli, they've got PSG, and they've got Belgrade, which was some tough atmospheres to play in. Yeah. Some mentally draining games to play in. Um, some pretty intense games to play in and it also leads to that situation where because of the way the fixtures worked out they, they had that ridiculous run where it was what was it Tottenham PSG Napoli Chelsea twice Man City you, you know in a five game spell I think maybe Southampton was there sort of as the, as the buffer at some point but they don't have to fear anybody Liverpool but at the same time they don't want to get free absolute terrible teams they beat them all on the day no problem they beat them all over two legs but if you put them all into one group it just drains you a little yeah, bit yeah yeah I think that's it I think in an ideal world we'll get teams that are generally possession orientated and play with a relatively low intensity compared to us you know not particularly draining that's why I'd like I mean, these aren't. This isn't a knock of any of these teams either. But that's why I'd like teams like Atlanta, um, Valencia, Benfica, Benfica. Yeah. Um, they lost six out of six last season in the group just, stage. Just teams like that that are, you know, they're relatively close by. Mm. They're not going to be particularly demanding. Lille, Lille, yeah. They just they, lost Pepe, haven't they? Yeah, they're not going to be um, particularly intense atmospheres. I, th- I think it's nice to, to get the... I mean, even Real Madrid, I don't think Real Madrid would be particularly bad. No. I mean, it's it's close by. Real Madrid haven't got a particular brand of football whereby they're, they're all over here and things like that. They're just a team of superstars, usually. So, yeah, it's it's nice to get the odd... Um, what's the word? Hollywood match kind of thing in the groups. But I'm I'm more inclined to just drift through it if we can and then and then save those kind of matches for the for the knockouts. Exactly. Especially because if I'm if I'm remembering rightly, Liverpool have got a couple of really big games either side of Champions League games. I think they've got Manchester United away, they've got Chelsea away. 
you don't want to sort of be going to, let's say, it's not far away, but you don't want a draining game against Atletico. Yeah. On the Wednesday, and then you've got to play United on the Saturday, for example. You, you don't want that. It will be the other way around. You don't want to play United on the Saturday and then go to Atletico on the on the Tuesday. That's not what you want. Um, so for that reason, I'd, I'd, I'd look at Atletico there as, as the worst-case scenario for pot two. I'd probably look again at Inter Milan for pot three. And maybe even Leipzig for pot four. I know it's yeah, not far that, away. That but would be a fairly entertaining game. It'd be entertaining. They'd get space. Uh, young boys would be an interesting one. They haven't actually qualified yet, but there's that. I think they've still got that plastic pitch. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Klopp would be worthwhile looking at uh, and listening into what he says. So we await that, and um, we might even do uh, our analysing Anfield extra time on that draw. Um, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to see if you haven't checked it out yet it's on YouTube um, we did the first one about Fabinho and the High Line um, so if you go into the Blood Red YouTube channel you might even be watching this on the Blood Red YouTube channel because not only is this a podcast now but it's also a video so head over there and we do like a 10-15 minute segment every week about other little bits and bobs around Liverpool and analytics so Josh we will finish by talking about Burnley, one of your favourite teams. Um, they're an absolute basket case of a club, aren't they? On the Witchcraft. Field. Witchcraft. Witchcraft. Sean Dyche, <laughs> the witch. Um, so, basically, they, they, they forget all things that you know about XG and about shot counts and about just everything, basically, because you, you can't analyse Burnley. No, not really. Analyse turf more would be a um, <laughs> analyzing turf more would be a very short pod. Yeah, or a very long one. I don't know how it go, but analyzing actually bands. Analyzing, <laughs> I, I'll be banging to that. We'll talk about Ashley in a minute. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Some XG that, um, but he plays four four two. Dice. We know what to expect from them, but you know you've still got to expect the unexpected. Um, so conceders one three one a turf more last time. Traditionally a tough place to go. Well, Liverpool have won the past two games there. Um, but consider from a sloppy set piece last time that Liverpool faced them. So what do you expect them from Burnley? I'm expecting what we what we know. What we know from Burnley, it's it's you very much it's what, what a certain tin really, I think, with Burnley. Um on that point though, where we conceded last time, we conceded first. That's one thing you really don't want to do against Burnley. You don't want to concede the opening goal. You want to ideally take a lead if you can. Um, I think Naby Keita started that day as well, and I think we also set up on a four-four-two. We did. Uh, which was, was Milner and I think it was Milner and Keita. Yeah, Milner scored as well. Mm. Uh, that was a strange little move. Um, that was during a period where I think Naby played in the left a couple of games yes. in a row. Uh, but yeah, Burnley just a standard team that tends to overperform what the what they're expected to do. Really, they just they seem to allow as many shots as you want against them. But the shots that they do allow are very rarely clear-cut. Um, you know, in terms of XGP shots, it's generally th- the shots that they're conceding shouldn't really go in most of the time. Um, for example, they conceded, uh, they allowed 617 against last season. That was bottom of the league. And that was 60 more than Fulham faced. Usually that team would get relegated. Just It's just not a good thing. You, you don't want to be allowing that many shots on your goal. It's just not a good performance in the case. But for whatever reason, every season, Bernie managed to just 
get away with it, really. Uh, so they're an interesting side in that regard. But it's just very much, you know, to, you know what to expect. It's just a direct team. Uh, most players behind the ball, long balls towards the two strikers, and big focus on set pieces. I think that's what we. I think that's what we can expect. Expect really. I mean, they were all right against Arsenal, but then they were pretty bad against Southampton. Um, they should have drawn every match so far. What they're not going to give you is pressing opportunities. Yeah, they, have, they haven't actually won a shot count yet. They've, um, I think they drew the shot count with Arsenal, mm. 15 all, I think. But lost a shot count to Wolves and lost a shot count to Southampton as well. But, you know, they seem to just find a way of getting results. Uh, the best pressers that we are, I saw a graphic today um, on, it was, it was Optographic, and it was the XG that you've created through pressing. And it's only three games in, of course, but Liverpool are top currently. Just the XG, the shots that were generated through high-pressing moments. The XG that Burnley have conceded from pressing moments. Do you want to have a guess? Zero. Zero. Not wow. a single shot conceded yet. Or faced on their goal, whatever you want to call it, uh, by being pressed in the long half. So that's that's completely out the window. Um, they just... We're going to have to find another means of creation, really, rather than our usual pressing approach. We're going to have to play a possession game kind of thing. But with us being, you know, better at that than we used to be, it, sh- it shouldn't be that much of a problem, providing we, we manage to cope with the, the physical threat that they're going to pose and and their two strikers. Uh, I wrote an article, actually, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think it might have been last week, actually. I got uh, contacted by, by our Burnley man. I didn't even actually know at the time we even covered Burnley. So it's the first article, the only article I've actually wrote for Burnley since I've worked at Reach. Uh, and he he asked me, can you write an article on whether Burnley are actually a long ball team? It was an interesting take, so I took it on board. And they are. <laughs> There's nothing, not, nothing weird there. They, are, they do play the most long balls in the, in the division over the course of a full season. It's... They're pretty much doing that again this season. But one thing I did notice at the time uh, was that from a Burnley perspective, it might not feel that way because pretty much every team they face seems to also become a long ball team when they face Burnley. Right. Uh, so it was it was just a, an interesting thing I gathered from me. So from a Burnley perspective, you'd be looking at opposing teams and thinking, they're hitting up more long balls than we are, but... Burnley are still a long ball team in the mm. division. They're just forcing other teams to play that way, which is admirable, I suppose. But hopefully, that's something we can we can get away from. We can play more integral football on the floor. Uh, but you know, it remains to be seen without the likes of Naby Keita involved, and maybe we'll have to have Ox running in midfield or something like that. But it's going to be a, a difficult test, as it always is. What will make it an even more difficult test is Ashley Barnes. He's one of my favourite players at the moment, Josh. He's one of mine as well, you know. He's 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 really good. <laughs> he's he's he is really good. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get his XG up. Well, I'm gonna get his XG up from last season and this season. He's an absolute finisher. He's, he doesn't get talked about enough. At the minute, he's played three and he's scored four. Yep. He's had at least four shots in every match so far. That's against who he played Arsenal, Southampton, and Wolves. 
at least four shots. Now, four shots, Salah averaged over the course of last season, something like, I think it was 3.5 maybe a match. So for, for Barnes in a defensive, well, predominantly defensive team, to be posting four shots a match, that's impressive. But having said that, he only averages 13 passes a match. Mm. So he's not involved at all. Yeah. He's just very, very dangerous when he is. So he's that type of player. He scored 12 last season in 37 games. Um, but his XG was actually around 13 and a half. His XG per 90. So he was underperforming last season. His XG per 90. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll dismiss the likes of Chong, Crouch, Greenwood, Foden. I don't think they really played enough minutes. Um, I'm not having a rasser either, to be honest. Um, but you've got Aguero, you've got Vardy. This is XG per 90. Aguero... Vardy, Salah, Kane, Callum Wilson. And then you've got Jesus, he's up there. Aubameyang, Lukaku. All top six players. Ings. Danny Ings. He said he played up, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, the, the minutes isn't great. He's got bigger Chicharito, but again, minutes not great. Sterling and Ashley Barnes. And then you've got like... Mane, so Ashley Barnes is just above Mane, Pogba, and Firmino. So those names that I've just read out, you can you can put an asterisk next to the likes of uh, Ings and, and Chicharito because they're not necessarily playing minutes. Ashley Barnes is playing a lot of minutes there. Yeah, um, and he's scoring basically an xG of a goal every other game. One thing I will say though, I think it's I'm not sure he's. He's performed well against us whenever he's played us. And I think mm. that may stem from the fact he tends to play as the right-sided striker. Yes. Up against, obviously, Van Dijk. Big so maybe that's that's nullifying his effect a little bit. But he, he is a player who generally tends to be very uninvolved. But whenever he is, he's just very productive. He's very, um, very efficient in the way he operates, I'd say. Dangerous player and... Obviously, one that we'll have to uh, take care of. Two shots against Liverpool. I'd say from all last season. XG of 0.71. Must have been clear-cut ones then. Must have been. Um, didn't... Sorry, played 89 minutes against Liverpool at Anfield. Zero shots. Yeah. Um, but as you say, in terms of the assists and, and key passes, just it's 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 a wasteland. But he's, he's, a, he's a good striker. He's, he's Yeah, he is. Yeah. He's 29 now, so he's... Mm. This maybe is peaked up with experience at yeah. the minute. Maybe you know, and he, uh, he he can also qualify for Austria, which is one of my favourite shots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he's he's best in the house of it. Uh, so, how do you see it going, Josh? Is is this something to worry about for Liverpool? Is this a game where we have to little, be a little bit concerned? Is it? It feels a little bit to me like the Leicester game last season, where Liverpool won three out of three. Um, this is the fourth just before the international break, it feels like there's a lot of pressure on, but it also feels like Liverpool are ultimately good enough to come away with the three points and, and quite comfortably if they, as long as they allow it. Yeah, I think it's always a worry for me. I, I don't like playing Burnley away. It's just a, a, a tricky like fish, Stoke, yeah. isn't it? Even though yeah. Liverpool used to win a Stoke routinely by the end of it. Yeah, I think obviously on this, on this podcast we're very like performance-focused, process-focused, rather than just looking solely at outcomes and results. On the performance level, Liverpool should absolutely destroy Burnley. But it's just, 
you have to consider a bit more than that with Burnley because the their performances aren't always well based on like the past five seasons. But their performances don't tend to capture their results very well. That's why we just define them as a very odd team. But it's just got to be a case of you know keeping your head, playing a bit, um, playing a bit streetwise. Do not concede the first goal. I'm not looking forward to set pieces because I think it's it's reasonable to expect them to be pinpointing at Adrian, really. Uh, and because Allison made those really that incredible yeah, save. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, at Turf Moor. Yeah. So just don't don't concede the first goal. Take care of your set pieces, basically, if you can, and. Just keep plugging away because they, they will allow. They should. They usually allow you to have plenty of shots. Really, you just got to make sure you're having good ones. Really, but just easier said than done against Burnley. But you know, I, I'm not going to bet against Enton, but a win. I can see us winning the game. But it's just, it's, it's just never an enjoyable fixture against Burnley. I'd say. Most definitely not. But let's hope that Liverpool can get the three points. I'm feeling all right about it. I think they do. He'll come out the week off. What you're going to remember about that free one is that it came after the gruel and Merseyside derby. That's a good point, yeah. We have got a week to, to prepare for this year. Mm. Whereas it, it felt like Liverpool had, was spluttering over the line against Everton um, until Big Div nodded that home from a yard. And then, you know, it, it felt like that was a, a big mental barrier to cross. And he did eventually, but it felt like it was a real, real struggle. Uh, so thanks very much for joining us this week Josh again if you like this uh, on podcast then make sure you download all of our other podcasts as well uh, they're all a little bit different they're all something for everybody there and also if you like this on YouTube then you know by all means um, you know give us a subscribe and um, watch out for Analyze and Anfield extra time later in the week next week next week might want to point out next week then I'm well, next week he'll be away um, <laughs> so Give them a fair warning this time. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. Not, not going away for five weeks finding yourself in Bali. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> so, but you are actually, we will have it next week. Yeah, it'll, it'll just, just be, be a, on the Friday. It'll be a later episode. Yeah, yeah. it'll be a later episode on the Friday. Um, so don't worry if there's no analysing Anfield on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It'll be on the Friday providing that. Where are you going? I'm going to Nice. Nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, they've just been taken over. You can do a bit of a scouting report. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, uh, by, by a Brit. By, by that proper Brexit Brit. Yeah, yeah. 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 The just man in Britain, I think it is. Yeah, oh God. Um, I think he was leaving for Chelsea, actually, as well. So yeah, you can you can come back and uh, tell us how, I don't even know who's there, but Patrick Vieira's the manager. Is he still the manager there? I think yeah, he's I still the manager. He's been nice for a while. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. This will be good. This will, let's, They've let's, got let's, a good little right-back, though, that Yusuf Attal didn't get picked up during the summer. They've got a, a right-back called Attal, who dribbles a ridiculous amount like um, more than the average fullback certainly Yusuf oh the Algerian yeah Italian mm. well when I looked into him last season he was dribbling about as frequently per 90 as as Hazard and Neymar which is that's incredible and I think in, one, in one match I think he scored a hat as well so I'm surprised he didn't get snapped up Jordan or someone as I said but he's a weird type of player you've it, got Danny Walter Benitez as well haven't he yeah, I'm on the wiki page, so I am cheating. But yeah, just looking, have, yeah. also, but he says he's, he's on the underlying numbers a very good goalkeeper. Yeah, and they've also got two players from Martinique. So there we go. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think just, we can we, we can launch a we can launch another pod here in East yeah, Pod. A full podcast on how many holiday ones. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and also what Josh will be doing um on Liverpool.com at times this season. We trial it for the Arsenal match and it went down really well. If you like this source of insight and you like this source of analysis, we now give it to you in real time. We now give it to you as the game's happening on Liverpool.com as a live blog. Uh Josh was there basically analysing everything that was going on in Liverpool versus Arsenal. Some very astute observations, including, oh my God, why is Unai Emery giving Liverpool's fullbacks all of this time and space? And it pretty much proved to be to be right. So, um, throw a lot of information your way there. Make sure you rewind, have a little listen, but basically, new live blog on Liverpool.com. You can download all of our podcasts on, the, uh, on Apple or Spotify, however you want to do that. You can watch all of our podcasts and some excellent new videos on our Blood Red YouTube channel and you can also hear from Judith Chalmers over here next week and he can tell you how niche went <laughs> thanks very much for, for watching us this week we'll be back next week on Friday Josh with a tan and hopefully Liverpool have got three points in the bank cheers you've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo